bite two ends of the biscuit and suck the hot liquid through it, and yeah, it's a great time. Hello, you're on the terrace. This is the companion podcast to Night Terrace, the time travel comedy for your ears. I'm Vaya, and I'm such a big fan, I'm wearing my terrace nighty. It's underneath my Aaron's bra. <laughs> okay, this is my favourite one yet. That was amazing. <laughs> That's how much I'm into Night Terrace and Neighbours. That's why I'm here to have a chat about it. So, in this episode, we are going behind the scenes of Series 2, Episode 4, Things That Go Bump in the Night Terrace, written by David Ashton, who's also the sound designer of the series. And I have Ben McKenzie here to give us the insight because he's one of the creators Part of Splendid Chaps Productions. How are you going, Ben? I'm, I'm doing great, Bea. How are you doing? Excellent. Are you ready to get spooky? <laughs> yes, I'm terrified. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. It's so awesome. It's good to have a ghost story. Hi, this is David Ashton reporting from Off the Terrace with some thoughts about writing this episode. Firstly, yes, the title did come first. Uh, someone at a, one of our brainstorming meetings said things that go bump in the night or things that go bump in the night terrace and I immediately thought yes the house becomes a haunted house that's a great idea for an episode and then one idea sort of led to the next so I thought they couldn't leave the house so that led to the idea that the house couldn't land for some reason and they needed to be in the dark so the electricity was off and that led to thoughts of why do they even have electricity in the first place so basically one idea led to the other. I love that this episode starts with Sue and Eddie kicking around the Night Terrace house, telling each other ghost stories just to pass the time. It reminded me of at my primary school, we had wet weather timetable. So if it was raining, like it is right now when we're recording this, you had to stay inside and play games. And that's how I felt these two were. They were just keeping each other entertained while Anastasia tinkers away in the house. Yeah. Yeah. I also love when David Ashton pens a script because it's not as sound effect heavy as I expect from him (laughs) as the sound engineer. So, I find he's leaning into the language to create the texture more than sounds. So, Uh, I find it an interesting experience. It's interesting you say that because there is a lot of sound in this, but I think it's the kind of sound that you don't notice because it's it's fairly constant. Like, there's the noise in the background of whatever is happening outside the house. You know, there's sort of weird in-between place that the house goes into when it's not here and it's not there yet. Funnily enough, although I do create all the sound effects for these episodes, when I'm writing them, I'm not really thinking about, you know, opportunities to create sound effects or anything. I don't have that in mind when I'm writing it. I mean, I probably, one part of my mind is thinking how I'll do it, but I'm not writing it just to create opportunities for sound effects. How do I make the sound of the void outside the house? To be honest, it's so long ago I don't actually remember. But from listening to it, I can hear there's elements of just electronic hum that's sort of pulsing away there. But then there's like a wind element on top of it. And the whole thing is is put through some sort of modulation. So it's sort of shuddering and the volume's dipping up and down. And I'm pretty sure there's pitch modulation. So the same sounds, you're hearing them pitched up and pitched down in a way that makes them less recognisable and sound more unnatural. That's what I can hear in there. So this episode, in a nutshell, Night Terrace is idling in a void. Dr Anastasia Black brews up a pot of quantum tea to send Eddie to an alternate timeline to connect to a supposed department agent called Darren who is also stranded. He's travelling in his own terrace house 
Anastasia follows Eddie and establishes that both houses are stuck occupying the same position in space and time. Sue, meanwhile, has worked out that the amenities of the house are what's connecting them back to the house's original location in their world. So she and Anastasia then have to work from either side of this timeline to create a resurgence in their power supply so they can squeeze both houses back into the correct universe. Yes. This is another timey-wimey episode. Yes. And this is, it's timey-wimey in the way that, I mean, it's, listening to it again, I'm like, oh, that's right. Eddie just doesn't understand this stuff. Whereas I'm listening to it as a, you know, a person who is a massive nerd for particularly time travel, but just sci-fi in general, just going, I know exactly what's going on here. Also, you know, obviously I was involved somehow at the script level, but I'm like, come on, Eddie, get it together. Why don't you understand? I mean, while I'm Eddie and, and I can tell you that sometimes it's, you just can't wrap your head around it. What if Anastasia and Sue don't recognize me because we haven't met yet? What if they're just kids? I can't fly around space with a couple of kids. I'm not ready for that kind of responsibility. And what if I meet myself before I was born? I might not even recognise me. The house is gone into this Einstein-Rosen bridge, which is like a fancy name for a wormhole. It's like connects two parts of space and time. And before it's emerged out the other end, another house has kind of crashed into it and they're both trying to occupy the same place, which they can't do because that would destroy both of them. But they're kind of tangled up in this wormhole space. Uh, and so when Eddie crosses over, he, he's not going anywhere except into the other house. But it just so happens that that house disappeared in the 1980s. And from Darren's perspective, he's only been gone for six months. Right. Whereas Anastasia's house, which was the last one to leave, left in 2014. So Eddie's like, I got to tell you, it's been 34 years. And he's like, what? No. So Eddie doesn't go back to 1980. No. He just goes back to a house that has been- He goes to a house to that's the, outside of yeah. time and space that has yeah. come from, yeah, really early 80s. Nothing paints a picture quite like the reference of the Life Be In It t-shirt, oh. which is a very Aussie reference from the 80s. It was a fitness campaign, a health campaign. Do you know the origin of the Life Be In It campaign? Oh, it's way back in the recesses of my mind, but you can remind me. Well, it came out of the New Games movement, which was a thing in the 1970s in the US. Uh, and this was like people who were trying to make games for adults that they would play. And they came up with all these crazy things like Earth Ball, which was like an enormous beach ball that people would run around in the mud throwing around. That sounds fun. All kinds of crazy stuff. Um, and when the Victorian government originally wanted to create a new fitness kind of advocacy program and get people off the couch and moving around... They got them involved and that was the origin of the Life Be In It program, which then was so successful or at least popular with the government. I don't know how actually practically successful it was, but it was certainly popular. Um, it went national and stuck around for quite a long time. And so, you had this character, Norm, who was this sort of, uh, he looked a bit like a Simpsons character yeah. before the Simpsons, really. And he was just sitting on the couch and he was the one that got prodded off the couch to go and do stuff. And it has the lasting legacy of the Life Be In It jingle. Be in it today. today. Your life be in it, yeah. So, God, <laughs> I've just been transported back in time. Yeah, that's three words, and I was back in the 80s. Now, this episode has bottle episode vibes. It takes place all in and around the house, which I love. Yeah, that was fun. It was fun to do that. And it gave us a lot of time to explore the relationship between the characters and see 
where they're at and what they're thinking, but also to get a bit of exposition out to find out what Sue knows about the house and why they tell Eddie to do things and <laughs> all that kind of stuff. It was but great. by the way, I'm low key shipping Sue and Eddie. Do you have shippers in this fandom? Well, we do now. This is <laughs> see, you brought this up a few episodes ago, and I have never thought about them that way. And now I understand how other creators feel yes. when people are like, "These two characters should get together." And this I'm like, is no. All I think about in my life. <laughs> okay. No, I'm look. I'm down with it. No, I didn't write that, but um, your interpretation is valid. It's just the bickering that you know gets me. <laughs> it's like playground kids. It's like, oh uh, yeah, the kind of behaviour we should be discouraging, yes. by the way. But uh, but yes, which still is is the hallmark of these two are probably going to get a, together. It's a hint of a frisson. Now they can hear these ghosty sounds, which is the voice of Darren that is feeding through when the clock in the house starts spinning around because there's quantum paint behind the clock. This episode is also important because it's like a reminder of how the house works. And this is all stuff that comes out of that last episode of the first season where we discover that the house was created by this woman, August Knight. She turned quantum foam, which is it's not a physical <laughs> <pretend>. substance. <laughs> no, it's real, but it's not a physical thing. Like it's a... It's like a part of the underpinning of how the universe works at a very small level. Okay. And then I thought, quantum paint. I made it. I really did. But I wasn't sure what it would exactly do. It paints the houses with it and it gives them these weird abilities. And what's happened is slowly over time, each house has disappeared off into space and time. Anastasia's was the last one left. The quantum paint is on the walls and it's what makes it work. And now they're like brewing it into a tea and they make Eddie drink it, <laughs> which he says, like, is this going to have an impact? And they're like, no, probably not. And he does become the guinea pig. I, it did resonate with me, the line where he says, oh, I get it. I'm not in the department old boys club. Hey, less of the old. Thank you very much. Also, we're not boys. As a woman in a man's world, I'm often feeling out of the loop of the old boys club. But in this case, it's two gals and it's excellent. Yes. But Sue Sweet talks him by saying, no, they need his balance as a dancer to balance over the loo to get transported through into... Do they know where they're sending him? No, they don't know. They don't know at that stage. They're not really sure what's going on. They're still figuring it out. So <laughs> he could be going anywhere and they have no plan for yeah. getting him back. And I think they they are, honestly, they're thinking he's the most expendable one. Like if he gets <laughs> lost and he can't get back, well, there's still two of us who can actually do something about the problem. And I read it as, yeah, they're so competent and confident that they, they, they know that they'll be able to sort it out. Whatever trouble they get him into, they can get him out of it. Well, look, there's this undercurrent of Anastasia's like, I don't really care what happens to Eddie. <laughs> Even after they've been through all their like travails together and they've had this friendship forged, there's still a little bit of her who is like resents having to carry this useless human being around with her. And I think, you know, having met Sue and realizing that I could have had somebody competent, <laughs> I feel that's really there. And I, I think there's a little bit of that in this episode and I kind of like it. Do Anastasia and Sue really think Eddie is the best one to go? Or is he just the most expendable? I think a little of column A, a little of column B. I think he is a bit the guinea pig. I don't think Anastasia and Sue would deliberately put him in a situation where he might die, but I think they want to see what happens. And then Anastasia obviously sees it safe to go after him. Because Eddie is very useless. Like, the number of things he thinks is going on before he actually is convinced 
by Anastasia of what actually is going on is ridiculous. Um, and again, this is where I said his, his reoccurring thing where he wants everything to be explained by parallel universes comes back this episode. Oh, I've got it. I've travelled sideways to a parallel dimension, one where architecture is reversed left to right and where it's still 1980. Hi there. And where Anastasia is a man. What do you call the space that Eddie occupies when he's transported? It's not a parallel dimension? No, he's just in the other house. Okay, he's next door. So, he's, he is. He's literally next door. So, this is one of the other terrace houses in the Night Terrace Terrace, okay. which disappeared in 1980. And because the houses are both travelling at the same time, they've gone into the same wormhole. Okay. So, it's like, it's like there's, you know, two dimensions trying to occupy the same space, but it's the two houses. So, we meet Darren. Yes. Played by Melbourne comedian Lawrence Leung. Oh, it was so nice to have Lawrence on the show. He's got a very warm, friendly voice, and which is great for someone that you're supposed to think of as a bit of a threat because Anastasia believes he's a representative of the department. Yes. But he isn't. Well, no, he's not. He's just a real estate agent. <laughs> I mean, and that's the gag, like where they hear his voice coming through all ghosty. I'm the real estate agent from the department. For the voice of Darren when he when he's he sounds like a ghost we did uh, record him going woo in a spooky voice which is always the easiest way to do it is is to get the actor's performance right first and then you add something to it to make it extra unnatural so it's got the, you know all the reverb and it's got pitch shifting and everything and when when his voice is sort of slurring in and out and you hear you hear him it sounds like he's saying he's an agent from the department uh, that was actually the hardest bit to, to sort of get those words to sort of poke out. I've taken him saying the lines sensibly and just sort of bits of it, I think, are spun backwards and, and slowed down and sped up to create that sort of slurring effect. But the hard part was getting those specific words to sort of poke out. But that was just a case of, of just experimenting and, and combining sounds and crossfading things until it worked. Like, Lawrence is, is such a lovely person, and if you ever see his comedy, it's so warm and positive and, and nerdy and a bit daggy. Uh, I don't think he'd mind me using that word. Um, he's delightful. He does a lot of... He's always been a magician as well, and now he does, he has a lot of that kind of stuff in his shows too. And He's the exact opposite of a real estate agent. Exactly. And so, we got him to play someone who's a, just a little bit of a jerk, and not on purpose. And he's from 1980 as well. So... This is why he keeps saying things. And again, it's a little bit like when we were doing the 1955 episode that we didn't want to write someone from 1980 who behaves like a planeteer. Like, that's not how people talked in the 1980s, particularly not people who had money or privilege, like a real estate agent. Because I did want to call out that Darren makes the comparison of the two houses fitting through the the the, the hole, the wormhole back into space as like two fat ladies walking through a door. And with modern lenses... I sort of I bristled at that because these are two big fabulous gals that the architecture has not taken into consideration by building adequate door frames. Exactly, and <laughs> exactly. But he doesn't care. He's in the eighties and he's judging them on their size. Yeah, and I think it's important that and you know Anastasia and Eddie to an extent, or mostly Anastasia, call him on that and go, "Can you stop? That's not okay. Don't say that." And he doesn't get it because you know in his world in nineteen eighty. No one ever called him on that and no. said, that's not okay for you to say that. And, and again, you know, that's, that's our commentary saying, we're going to write someone from 1980 and remind you, things have changed and some things have changed for the better. Yeah. We're much better at talking about these things and understanding that the way we talk about people 
has a big impact on the way people feel about themselves and, and the world around them. We are no longer body shaming Norm from the Life Be In It campaign no. for sitting around on his couch. I mean, he needs to get fit, but he doesn't have to lose weight. <laughs> Darren also drops in another streetcar named Desire reference. Yes. Just as we had last episode, which was... But I figured a scary ghost is just a friendly ghost you haven't met yet. That was cute. He's been having a fun time time travelling. Uh, and I noticed a time travel paradox that he created. Oh, really? Because he wanted to go back and see how our former Prime Minister, Harold Holt, died. Yes. Because it was a mystery. He drowned, but no one has the facts. So he went back to find out, but then his house landed on Harold Holt and killed yeah. him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he calls the thing that he was trying to go back and- Although he doesn't have any more control over his house than Anastasia does. So he didn't get to go back there on purpose. Mm. But he, but he was like, oh, cool, I'll find out what happened to him because I'm in the right time. Oh, I squashed him. Yeah. Yeah, which I thought, I thought that was cute. And I still, look, it's always fun to talk about Harold Holt because while he did disappear in the ocean, I think everyone in Australia is just aware that it is really disrespectful that we have so many swimming pools named yeah. after him. Yep. So Anastasia joins Eddie over in the other house because she's, ridden his coattails, I guess, literally. Well, she's just like sick of waiting for him to get the <laughs> job done. Uh, and of course, because it's all a bit timey-wimey, she's able to turn up before he gets there and find the Tim Tams. Which is an excellent Australian biscuit that uh, UK tourists like to take back with them. Mm. Fun fact, when Nick Briggs did a guest voice for us in the very first episode, we sent him a packet of Tim Tams as a thank you. Because you can't get them in the UK unless you go. Well, presumably there's some specialty shops where you can get them. But it's the sort of thing you send an Australian abroad as a care package. Like, here's some Vegemite, here's a packet of Tim Tams. And on panel shows, we make celebrities do Tim Tam Slammers, which is where you bite two ends of the biscuit and suck the hot liquid through it. And it's a great time. Whether it's coffee or tea, it is delicious. Uh, John Barrowman loves them. So Anastasia's here and and has worked out this superpositioning Occurrence that's where the houses are occupying the same position in space and time. Yes. Schrodinger's cat. Oh, yeah. This is great. I actually researched this not that long ago for my other podcast, Pratchett, because we read Terry Pratchett's book, The Unadulterated Cat, and he talks about Schrodinger's cat in that book. It was a thought experiment, which in Terry Pratchett's words is an experiment that you can't do and won't work. <laughs> But it means that nobody ever practically did this. But the idea is you put a cat in a box with a radioactive isotope that may or may not decay. It's got a 50% chance of decaying in a certain period of time. If the radioactive thing decays, it will release this poison gas that would kill the cat. If it doesn't decay, then the cat will be alive. And the thing is that because we're talking about subatomic particles when we're talking about this radioactive decay, quantum superposition is this idea that you can't know what position a subatomic particle is in because until you observe it, it theoretically occupies all possible positions that it could be in. You have to look at it to find out where it is. And until you open the box, you don't know if the cat is alive or dead, which was intended as a thought experiment to show how ridiculous the idea of quantum superposition is. And he's like, you can't have a cat that's alive and dead at the same time. The point was he was extrapolating what happens at a subatomic level up to the normal level that we exist on. So that's that's the idea of quantum superposition. And as a and as a cat lover, this is very grim. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> but like I said, it's a thought experiment. You never actually yes. do it. No one puts the cat in the box. And in this I mean in this episode they talk about putting a dog in there as well, which seems like a very bad idea. I do find it a really good source of comedy because um three reasons. One is that the name Schrodinger is is just kind of funny. 
The other is cats in boxes is just inherently entertaining. There's a million YouTube videos that'll that'll prove that. Thirdly, that the whole point of the experiment, I think, for Schrodinger was was to demonstrate that things that we say happen in the subatomic realm are absolutely ridiculous when you apply them to the macro realm. So it's just inherently ridiculous, this idea that, that you, the cat can be alive and dead at the same time. So it's fun to have someone try to explain that to someone like Darren who has no scientific background and is just hearing about cats in boxes and thinking that's funny. So that's why that's there. And I think we, we return to the Schrodinger well in the, uh, our live episode, Situational Awareness. And this is where Sue has figured out that the house's amenities, in their case, it's the water, the plumbing. In the other house's case, it's the electricity, the light switches that control its movements. Mm. And there's the, the tether's been broken between yeah. them and their earth, well, well, earth. Their, our world. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, the, it's the Night Terrace universe yeah. version of Earth. So in order to reconnect they need to produce their own electricity mm. and Anastasia wants to MacGyver it. Yeah. She just needs a whole bunch of knickknacks lying around the house and she can make it happen. Yeah, this is great. It was really nice to have that macgyver moment. She's just like, oh, you can make electricity in 20 different ways. Here you go. She just rattles them off. But Darren's got none of the stuff. Yeah. Do you have a potato? Do you have an elastic band? Do you have... No. And they're all real. Like, David Ashton knows his stuff. <laughs> The business with them making a battery was partly inspired by an episode of Breaking Bad called Four Days Out, where they their mobile meth lab breaks down in the desert and they have to make a battery to kickstart the car. Also, just I remember as a kid watching TV shows or reading books and they'd, they'd say, uh, here's how to make a battery out of ordinary household items. And the ordinary household items, it would be like a lemon and then zinc strips an anodized nail or a copper coin or something like that. And it's like all these things that you think, I don't have any of these things. So uh, I put that in and I thought, of course, Anastasia and Sue would both know how to do that. But also Anastasia in her house would have a probably have a good battery lying around. So they didn't need to. Now, Darren doesn't have any of the supplies Anastasia needs. But I also noticed that back at Anastasia's house, they don't have a whole lot of supplies because when they re- the trio realizes they're stranded... Eddie's like, well, the only drinking water we have is in the kettle and we don't really have any food. So are they just flying by the seat of their pants all the time? They don't have really an emergency kit. Well, we actually did think about this. And in in the series Torah, we do have a few ideas about where things come from in the house, how it interacts with the rest of the world. I don't know that it's ever come out in the episode. So I don't know. I don't want to say too much in case we use it in a future plot. But I can say that a little hint of what goes on in the cupboards of Night Terrace is revealed in the next episode, or at least alluded to, if not revealed. This is great. This your world, the, the Night Terrace world, is like Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. Everything is doing work. The wallpaper, the the, the cupboards, like everything is contributing. <laughs> yeah, and it's not like going to work on somebody else's TV show where you have to obey their rules. We we get to make up the rules, mm. and uh, that's very exciting, particularly for a massive nerd like me. He's like, <laughs> yeah, what kind of nerdy, cool stuff could we put in there? You know, in previous episodes, they do allude to the fact that they have gone shopping. In the in the Hitler Robots episode, Eddie has got a T-shirt with, you know, Chairman Meow on it that he clearly was not wearing when he was door knocking for an electricity company. So, he's picked that up from somewhere. And you can make up whatever you want, but I also like the mundane details that while... Sue's waiting for her companions to return. She's just doing household jobs. 
Okay, I've repaired the punctured tyre on Anastasia's bicycle, fixed the squeaky cabinets in the kitchen, and rearranged the lounge room furniture according to the principles of non-Euclidean geometry. What next? I like that they've got a bicycle. Yeah, that has not re-emerged yet, but hopefully, maybe, well, that's as good that you've mentioned that. I'm going to try and remember this. We'll get the bicycle in yeah. there for season three. I guess that's one of her leisure activities. That's how she keeps, Anastasia keeps fit. Yeah. Anastasia's able to communicate with Sue at the other house that they need to create this electrical surge and that she needs Sue to build a battery. Yes. And kickstart the tether. And yes. Sue knows how to do this. Yeah, Sue knows how to do everything. That's like her, that's her yeah. shtick. And I think one of the things that I think informs her character is that she's trained for this job, but she never got to go anywhere, really. She was stuck in the quantum possibility machine observing Night Terrace, and she didn't actually get to go out in the field and fight actual aliens. So she's really relishing this opportunity. And as much as, you know, in this episode, she's stuck inside the house, she still has to do stuff to save them. And she's, she's up to it. No problem. I am very much enjoying back to Eddie's uh, incompetence, seeing a dynamic of yeah, two pow- two powerful, capable women just running the show, and the mediocre bloke just ambling to catch up with them. Yeah, and he really does have no idea. Like he he just thinks it's everything except what it is. And this is the episode where this is his biggest moment, where he's like, "It's a parallel universe," and it feels to him like it is. Which I is thought why, he had it too. Well, look, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, oh, this is a universe where Anastasia's a man uh, and a real <laughs> estate agent and your name is Darren. And uh, this too, it's just too many different things. It's clearly not Anastasia. He's just th- th- clutching at straws. But he doesn't know that. And, and you know, obviously neither does the listener until we find out. Sidebar, I love the 80s-ness of the name Darren. It's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> One of the disappointments actually for being part of the show is that you can't be surprised. Like we we talk about what's going to happen in each episode and I have to know because like I wrote the one after this. So, I had to know what happened in this episode in case any of it informed what I was going to write and I had to know what was happening in the episode after mine. So, I knew what the other house was. I knew it wasn't a parallel universe. I knew that it wasn't, you know, a timey-wimey future or past version of the house, that it was actually another night terrace. And so, for me, that was not a surprise. But then, you know, I also have the challenge of performing Eddie, who is surprised by everything and doesn't understand (laughs) anything that's going on. So, in Darren's house, Anastasia is creating this static charge by having them all walk all over the polyester shag pile carpet. Yes. Lovely detail. And they create this reaction and the houses are able to squeeze back into the real world. But they don't know this is going to work. No. And they're just comfortable with possibly sending them to their own doom. Yeah. I mean, look, they're operating on Sue's theory, which is based on the department's research from when she was observing the houses. So, you know, you would hope that they know what they're doing. But Anastasia and Sue are both very used to figuring it out. And this is, I mean, look, it's like every science adventure show. The scientists are always like, we don't know if this is the thing, but we're going to do the thing. And it's so rarely the case that they have totally screwed it up and get everything wrong. I, I, I'll i take a, I've got to take a leaf out of their book because I just operate so much by fear lately. I just need to go, <laughs> no, I, I've got it. I've done the research. I can do it. Now, this is one of only a few episodes that essentially has one main guest star in Lawrence Lung. Yeah. But we also have another little appearance by August Knight, which is Jane Badler. What's that you're writing? Oh, it's just a story I made up. Or maybe it was a dream. I was travelling through time and space and then... What a strange thing to make up, Darren. Why would you want to leave paradise? Darren is in some sort of paradise with August, typing up his memoirs, 
And Ben, your housemate just walked through here and asked if all of these events actually happened because Darren can't remember exactly. Well, look, that's uh, they did they did happen. I will say that they did happen, but it's a bit of a mystery. Why doesn't Darren remember? And why is August there? Isn't she dead? Who knows? You'll have to keep listening to find out what's going on. I don't know. That's that's not really a spooky thing, but I just I got caught up in the ghost story vibe. Does Darren get to publish his memoirs? (laughs) Because well, he saw some stuff. Again, you'll have to listen to find <laughs> out. We, I, if I can get mundane for a moment, people will talk about bottle episodes of television shows, which is where they need to save a bit of money. And so they're just going to use one set, which is the set they always use. And they're not going to go anywhere else. and They're not going to have any guest stars. And this episode is a little bit like that for us. But we did it on purpose. Like, like I said before, it gave us that space to explore our characters. But also, you know, we're operating on a budget on Night Terrace. And we kind of go, all right, well, we can probably afford this many guest stars over the whole season. And usually we budget for about two per episode. This season we went quite a bit over that. Um, and so we we kind of had planned to have one episode where there was primarily just one person. So it was a functional bottle episode. Interesting. It was, yeah. Um, but it was just, you know, what a, what a guest star to have. And it was nice to have Jane back and do that little bit at the end, have the little bookends. Well, speaking of bottle episodes, I'd like to step into our recommendations because I have a bottle episode of a TV series I'd like to recommend. Oh, do tell. It's a classic. And look, Friends, the sitcom, it's it's not cool to like it anymore. It was cool when it came out to like Friends. I loved Friends. It was a big part of my comedic education as a teenager. But it's daggy now. But I, you know what? There are some episodes that hold up, and one of them is called The One Where No One's Ready, and it takes place in 22 minutes, real time. They have to get to an event, and they all have to turn up in their formal wear, and everything kind of, the the wheels fall off the cart throughout the episode, and they all start fighting with each other, and nobody's ready to go to the, and Ross loses his mind. It is extremely well-crafted, well-paced, amazing performances, one of the best episodes of telly. Friends, Series 3, the one where no one's ready. Now, I was going to recommend Nigel Neal's incredible 1992 television special, Ghost Watch, which I don't want to say too much about. You should just go and watch it. But we kind of almost recommended it in a previous episode. So, I don't want to cheat by giving one we've already talked about. So, instead, I'd like to recommend, if you want to see a show about a person just wandering around in a house by themselves, that's a little bit eerie, but also very funny, I recommend the episode The Trial of the sitcom One Foot in the Grave, in which the main character, Victor Meldrew, is the only character who appears. And it's just him wandering around at his house by himself. And it is still hilarious. Wow. So, I recommend it. That's a real budget saver. Yes. Now, if we want to pack in a whole bunch of extra guest stars into a potential Series 3 of Night Terrace, yes. we should get around your Kickstarter. We should. Now, it won't have started yet as you hear this episode, but, oh well, depending on when you listen to it, I suppose. Who knows when you're listening? Uh, but keep an eye out. Check out nightterrace.com. We will have a link up there. But we do want to make a third season and tell more adventures of Anastasia, Sue and Eddie. So, please check it out. And if you love the show, maybe sling us a few bucks, get yourself a copy. And if you've got a few extra bucks, get yourself a cool reward, like maybe a signed copy of a script some people did get a signed copy of the script for this episode um which included the signature of one Lawrence Lung as well as you know my signature and you know Jackie's and Jackie's so what do you want more do you need yeah well exactly i frankly I think the rest of us were after Jackie signed it were like are we devaluing this script now <laughs> I don't know 
But you can get yourself one of those if you want. Like the time I went to see the Neighbours cast at an in-store at a shopping centre and I wanted Billy Kennedy and, and Wilkinson's autographs and then Drew was there and he'd just joined and I didn't know who he was and I'm like, I don't want his autograph. I just want <laughs> Billy and Anne. There's a deep cut for the Neighbours fans. Oh, man. It's like when you go to a convention, there's always that one person who's not as famous. I went to a Doctor Who convention in the UK and there was lots of people getting signatures from all these people and... Matthew Waterhouse was there. He played Adric, who was a very unpopular character at the time. And he'd, he's written some books and he was just sort of sitting and no one was getting his autograph. I felt really bad for him because re- he was great. I thought he did a great job and he seems like a really lovely guy. And he was. I went and bought his books and I got them signed and he was really nice. So, you know, if you see Matthew Waterhouse, go and get something signed. So, more about this podcast on the Terrace and Night Terrace and its Kickstarter and all the goings on at nightterrace.com. Follow the show at Night Terrace on Twitter and sling us your thoughts on it all next episode will be coming soon to bbc radio 4 extra so keep an eye out on that and on bbc.co.uk or your iplayer app or bbc sounds my neighbors podcast is called neighbors we're at neighborspod.com and on all the usual apps and i'll check in with ben next episode for another cup of tea on the terrace bye you have been listening to on the terrace a splendor chaps production Find more entertainment for your ears at SplendorChaps.com.